Hey everybody, AJ here. It's almost eight o'clock on the Monday night before this episode goes live, and I felt compelled to record a little something before posting this one. The guys don't really know I'm doing this, so don't blame them, but in this episode, Graham and I really get into it. We argue pretty hard, and at one point I say, I will die on this hill, and that is a phrase I have never said before, I don't think, and probably will not say again, and... I think it probably sends the wrong message. When it comes to Graham, I'm always open to seeing the error of my ways if indeed I am in error. Graham and I disagree like this a lot with each other, and in the end, we usually find some sort of common ground or amiable disagreement. And I know that he's changed my life in a lot of ways because of arguments like this, and I think I probably have changed his in one or two as well. And I think we do find common ground in the Patreon episode that happens after the main episode, which is why if you head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash classical stuff, you can find the in-between episode posted for free for the public. I think everyone should be able to resolve the argument at least as far as we have in their own minds. Now, if you're not a Christian listener, it may not be an argument of any, any interest to you, and that's fine. You don't have to listen. I just thought I would make it available just this once. All right. Happy listening. Hello, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about books and not ideas, because Graham said I don't, I shouldn't say that, because ideas is a stupid thing to say in the introduction to this podcast. Oh, My name is... It's just a given. <laughs> well, that they're ideas? That we're talking about ideas? It's a good idea. It's a great idea. The best yeah. idea. The best idea is listening to this podcast. My name is Thomas Magby. I am joined, as always, by the person who criticizes my introductions, Graham Donaldson. What's that you get that criticizes your intros? And the other person who criticizes my introductions, AJ Hannenberg. <laughs> That's me. I'll own it. Uh, and I also criticize my own introductions because it is well-deserved. We made the decision of who was doing this intro literally two seconds before starting it, so I have no – not that I would have a witty thing to say anyway. But we are uh, continuing on with Kristen Lovren's daughter, which uh, I guess this is part two of three. I don't know. I mean, it's part through? two. I don't think I want to spoil the whole book. Can you okay. give us um, a last time on I Kristen Lovren's daughter? Def- last time on Kristen Lovren's daughter. Yeah. Uh, we just did our cold open, and yep. now we'll do a last time uh-huh. on classical stuff. Um, but uh, so Kristen Laverne's daughter is a book that. Um, uh, so there you go. Uh, no, translated. <laughs> and we did it. Translated from Norwegian, written in the twenties, nineteen twenties, and we so we follow the story of the growing up of a young, beautiful, noble woman named Kristen, and she was supposed to marry this kind of. Kind of dope, doofy, overweight kid named Simon, who's who's a nice kid, but he just really liked horses and his like you know knife collection and didn't really know how to talk to girls and and it was set up a wonderful pious father named Laverns and Kristen it was as a young when she was young she was sort of accosted by some dude on a road and she was sent away um, to a monastery just to like kind of chill for a year and get over the trauma of it all and just to like you know. Wait out till her marriage happens. And in that time at the monastery, she meets charming, roguish Erland. And Erland is a ladies' man, and Erling is handsome and he's well dressed, and he is a noble. He's almost like he's he could be if you know if the cards played themselves right, he could be king. Like he's one of these people that he could have been king if a bunch of people died. Like he's that noble. Kristen's not that. Laverne's wasn't going to be that way. Um, and she falls for him, and he seduces her in a shameless and shameful way. Um, 
seduces her and she, uh, you know, falls in love with him and he ends up like taking her to a brothel and, um, and this Hot spot on Valentine's I know. Day. <laughs> and this whole yeah. time she is racked with guilt. I know where we could go, babe. <laughs> <laughs> this brothel. Oh. Um, it's this like woman's house that's known to be this brothel and it's like all very seedy and Erlen's like, whatever, it's great. Like we at least we're, we have a, we have a fireplace and a bed. It's way better than the hayloft. And, uh, and Kristen feels really bad, but she's just so in love. Um, Erland was supposed to be married to somebody else who was married to an old man, if you remember. Um, and that woman comes to claim Erland because she's got children by him and she ends up killing herself in front of Kristen. And Kristen's just like a 17-year-old girl traumatized. She tells her father she's not going to marry Simon. Simon, or uh, um, uh, Laverns, the father doesn't know why Kristen, doesn't know about that her and Erland have slept together. He just knows that she loves Erland. Simon knows about this because he bu- bursted into the. So who's Simon? Simon is the is the guy was, she was supposed to marry. Right. It was kind of kind of doofy. He was kind of like a doughboy, but he wasn't very handsome. He was kind of like you know he liked farming, and you know like saddles and horses and stuff. Um, but he didn't know how to charm the ladies. Um, anyway, um, long story short. Simon agrees to not marry Kristen. It's a whole big to-do because the bond had already been forged, like, between the families. He breaks it off and doesn't say why. Dad is ticked, says, you're not marrying Erland. Kristen goes into, like, lock, like emotional lockdown to the point where mom's like, I think she might actually die. Um, her will is, you know, her will, this is, her will for Erland is going to be stronger than her will for life. Dad kind of gets freaked out. Meanwhile, one of his other daughters is sick and dies, and he realizes, like, this is sad. He also realizes that he had an arranged and somewhat loveless marriage to his wife, although they've formed a happy life together, but they've had no passion. Um, And he realizes that, like, this is something that could happen to his daughter. He acquiesces, lets Kristen marry Erland. Erland rolls in. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Leverins. That was awesome. Hey, sorry about, you know, this whole breaking up the relationship thing, but your daughter's real swell, and I'm going to be your, your, your son-in-law. And Leverins is like, oh, this guy, he's got this bad reputation. He was excommunicated for a while because of his affairs. He's not a good dude, but he's definitely handsome and rich. Kristen seems to like him. Meanwhile, leading up to the wedding, Erland gets Kristen pregnant, and she is pregnant on her wedding day when she's wearing the the crown that is supposed to signify her pure virginity. She's taken a couple of, like, anti-nausea drugs that Asahild gives her to make her get through the ceremony. She's all super loopy-doopy, doesn't really remember the wedding. Um, As and, every girl imagines. Yes, there you <laughs> go. And then on the ceremony where dad and mom hand over Kristen to the husband, they basically remove her wedding gown and strip her down and put her in bed and say, like, she's yours now. Laverns realizes that Kristen is not as embarrassed to be, like, disrobed in front of Erland as he thinks he should be, and he realizes, ooh, this has probably already happened before, and he's kind of brokenhearted, and he leaves. And meanwhile, Erland's like, woo, we did it, yay, we got married, this is awesome. And Kristen is pregnant, and, like, Slightly furious with Erlen that she's, you know, and she's in this position. But anyway, so that was that was book one. And now she's going off to his estate, which has been crappily, poorly managed because he's never he's been off being a, 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 a 
being a, a rogue around, you know, the world. And he sort of left his estate and like, you know, the brewery's all busted and the crops are crappy and the peasants don't really do anything and there's no discipline and, you know, the estate's kind of been poorly run. Kristen, 17 years old, super sick in her pregnancy, just like feels terrible. Has this big sea voyage and overland voyage. To well, I, I feel like the brewery, isn't that the one thing he would keep up as a rogue about town? He's, he doesn't care. He's not going to, he'll just go oh, buy beer. I guess beer. he's got money for he's brewery. He's going to go buy beer. He's got buy brewery. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she is absolutely convinced that the child that she has born in sin is going to be some kind of demon like or is going to die. Satan thing? Yes. Yeah. Is going to be some sort of punishment from God or the child is going to be killed. And she is absolutely convinced of this. She's even more convinced because she was in front of a burning church while she was pregnant and no one knew except her because she has got this child and the church was burning because it was struck by lightning. She's convinced that God is going to punish her for her unfaithfulness. And so we talked a little bit last episode about like there's this theme running through the book about there's kind of two options in this world and one is like the life of the world that is filled with passions and love and excitement but also um, consequences and disappointments and responsibilities, or there is the option of basically ditching all of those things to live in the monastery, to serve God, to almost like quit the world and dedicate yourself to sort of pious, holy things. And this is a big draw to Kristen, is that she she can't now, she's married, she's mom, she has responsibility, she's never going to be a nun. But that calling is always in the back of her mind. All right, so that was where book one ended, is that she's just married, she's going home, Erland is just, like, kicking his heels, and he's happy, he's like, I got this trophy girl, she's super beautiful, um, she's pregnant, and people can, like, count to nine, and they're gonna figure it out, uh, but whatever, it doesn't matter, I'm Erland, everyone knows, everyone, like, thinks I'm cool anyway, um, and Kristen is mortified, so she's now, she got what she wants in life, as far as a 17-year-old wants. But it cost all of this relationship, it cost basically this bond with her father who is just embarrassed. And he's a pious, good, holy man. Everyone's like, yeah, Laverne's is good, pious, and holy, but his daughter's got him wrapped around her finger and she's taking advantage of him and, and you know, it's embarrassing. Anyway, um, and so that's where... So this is now book two. And I'll, I'll, I'll do a little summary, just a little bit of, of, of sort of of book two, and then I've got some kind of, i got a big question that I want to debate okay. about. It's about, it's about repentance. Okay, cool. The nature of repentance. Okay, I'm in. Um, uh, it exists. The All three of these books okay. are the entirety of Kristen's life, and I don't think I'm going to do an episode three because I don't want to, like, you know, do the whole, this isn't like, I don't want to summarize the entire book. Really? Uh, yeah, well, I don't think so. Most people are super into it. I'm not going to read it. All right. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> can can oh, you please okay. do the work for me? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I might so, read it. This sounds pretty good. Kristen is going to um, the estate. It's called, the estate is called Hussabee. She's going to Hussabee, the estate. Think grand medieval estate, big house, farming peasants, um, you know, stone house with its own church, that kind of big estate, right? She's going to a fancy estate, and it is in disrepair, and all of the uh, servants are, like, laughing and snickering because here comes a 17-year-old, and... Married to Erland, who's this ragabond, ragabond? Ragamuffin, vagabond. Ragamuffin, vagabond. Oh, vagabond. Yeah, ragamuffin. Yeah. He's not a vagabond. He's a rake. He's a rake. There you go. A, a, a rube. 
Um, not a rube. Not a rube. Is that a rube? A rube is like a fool unsophisticated. Ex- yeah, somebody that gets one pulled over on him. What oh rube? no, he's not a rube. He's a rake. Yeah, yeah he's a rake. Um, and he's showing up, and pretty soon, like everyone in the house realizes, oh, that girl's pregnant. Like she's sick. She can't eat. She's super pale. And when every time Kristen gets pregnant, and she gets pregnant a lot, she has I think seven sons. She's always very ill and is miserable, and it is not great. Anyway, so she is feeling terrible, and she's home, and Erlen's right-hand man's name is Ulf, and Ulf is the guy that used that, um, like, organized the, the, the sexy meetings, mm, and so yep. he, knew, he knows all about the past. Okay, to help us out, a rake mm. is a fashionable or wealthy man of dissolute or promiscuous habits. Mm. So nailed He's definitely a rake. Definitely a rake. A rube is a country bumpkin. Yep. Not a rube. Not a rube. Not a rube. Yeah. So she has Ulf always hovering around, and he, like, knows the full extent of the scandal that no one else does. Simon knows, too. Um, oh, Simon. And, of Poor course, guy. Erlen and her know. But So Ulf's always there, and he's always, like, this constant. He doesn't remind her, but just his presence is a reminder to Kristen that this is what her husband did. In her mind, it slowly begins to be um, – anyway, it's, it's like a she – She's eventually going to hold a lot of blame to Erlen. How could you have done this to me? I was just, I was, I was a maiden in love with you. And Erlen's like, takes two to tango, girl. Right. And she's like, I was, a, you know, anyway, she, she blames him a lot. Um, anyway, great so. Great way to enter a Yeah, not great. Sure. Yeah. Um, but over time, Kristen is like, wins over the household and she sets things in order. Um, but she is. Um, Does she civilize him at all? Or is he still sort of out there doing his thing? He's. Right now he's he's at home with his happy with his wife, but he she's like pregnant, and so that sucks for him. He's got to be getting bored. He's getting bored, and she's real sick and and like barfing all the time. And he's like and doesn't like him very much, and doesn't like and is kind of like seething a little bit. And she misses her home. She misses the fact that like all of the servants back home treated her father with respect because he was a respectable person, and all the servants here are like Erlen's such a like man boy yeah and that's her husband that they're all sort of like rolling their eyes at Mm -hmm. and laughing at her because she's like pregnant and she is she's just she's ashamed yeah and takes and you know holds that against erlen and erlen's like whatever i mean come on girl like this is great we got i got my wife i'm having a kid uh um my old you know i uh, that this this ex-woman that was hanging over me is uh, she's no longer in the picture. His two other ch- bastard children live at the house, which is kind of annoying. Um, but Kristen wins everybody over, including those kids. Oh, good. Uh, the one, his one son is named Orm, and Orm is kind of like, he's like a Kleenex of a kid. Like, he's, he's sort of, he's very much like he Henry. Phlegmatic? He's like Henry VI, right? Yep. Oh, okay. He's kind of like weak and... Everyone's like, maybe he should just go into the monastery. And Erlen's like, no, no, I'll make a man out of him. We're, we're going to get this guy in order. But Orb is like, not Orb, Orm is, he's kind of this doofusy kid. And then there's Margaret. I think her name's Margaret, the other daughter. And she definitely does not like stepmom. And she is more like her dad and wants to go find the boys. Anyway. Um, she, because she is... Um, I can't remember if it's because she's pregnant or because of the bad weather. She can't go to church at Christmas and she feels on midnight mass and she feels like this is a just punishment. She has been locked out of the church. She is pregnant with 
a illegitimate child and she cannot go celebrate the Virgin Mary's birth of our Savior. And she definitely feels like she's this anti-Mary because of her sin. And so she goes to her own little church service by herself in the, in the state church and it's freezing cold and she's by herself in there and she's just weeping. This pregnant... The poor woman. I know. That's terrible. Yeah. And then, but Orm, and then, um, uh, yes, anyway, so um, so she can't, yeah, she's set out, she's shut out of this, like, the celebration of the Virgin Mary's son, and she is the non-virgin pretending that she's the virgin. Um, Erland uh, sort of takes out his bad temper that he's got on his son, and eventually um, Kristen kind of chastises him for it. Um, Erland invites a bunch of people over to the house, these like fancy dudes, and they are real raunchy, to, like just in their conversation towards Kristen and just being like, whoa, you know, like insinuating with that she's there with her sitting right there. And Erland's like, oh, you guys. And they're insinuating that like, she just couldn't wait. She just could she just couldn't keep it together. When Erland rolls around, of course, she's going to like jump him. And they're making all sorts of like dirty wow. innuendos about her desire for Erland. And she is sitting there flushed with embarrassment and doesn't know how to respond up to the point where Ulf gets really angry and starts beating the crap out of one of them. And they have to break up this fight. Good on Ulf. Yeah, Ulf's a good guy. Even though he's not a good guy, but he's a good guy. Oh. Wait, Ulf is the one that helped to uh, organize all their... Correct. Ulf is like, yeah. he's, you know, kind of quiet and he's big. And he's like, if Erlen tells me to do something, I'm doing it. But that guy can't talk about you that way, Chris. And that's not right. And he beats him up. And then um, it's this whole thing... And then during this time, uh, Kristen has realized she has not felt the baby move in her womb for a long time. Oh, no. And she is horrified, oh, no. absolutely horrified. And she knew this was coming. Like and she, she said it was coming. The she thought th- was. She, the thought was coming. She has not felt the baby. Um, meanwhile, has um, the baby is close to coming, and she kind of slowly slips into – she's so sick and she's so feverish, she's almost like kind of crazy. She sort of almost slipped into a little bit of a madness. Um, and she's like, my mom's coming. I know she's coming. She would know that the baby is on its way and mom is coming. And she runs off into the woods to find her mother. She's like, she's probably just around the corner and she doesn't know where the castle is or oh, the house no. is. I'm going to go find her. I'm going to go find her. And she sort of runs off into the night pregnant. Um, uh, and she um, um, uh, meets a sort of a, a, a nice farming woman who takes her in and she's like, who are you and what's going on? And, and then um, Erland is freaked out and looking for her and finds her and finds this peasant woman who's taking care of Kristen. He's like, oh, thank you so good. Thank you so much. And they kind of reconcile and Erland realizes like he could have lost Kristen and he loves her, loves her. Like he is, he realizes how much he loves her. Um, even though he's a jerk bag and he's going to continue to be a jerk bag. He, the, she is very precious to him. All right. Um, uh, she comes home. She's still pregnant. Erlen's brother shows up, and his name is Gunolf. Okay. And Gunolf is probably one, just like how Laverins is one of my new favorite literary characters, Gunolf is up there, too. Is he like Razumikin? No. Gunolf oh, okay. is, if Erland is kind of like this playboy, Gunolf looks like Erland. He has the same wit as Erland, but he is... Um, like pious and good, and is a priest. Oh, and he's a good. He's this good man. He like berates his brother for his stupidity. Sure. Um, and he comes and her, him and Christian, like 
They uh, get along amazingly. He teaches her how to read a little bit of Latin. She's really taken with the Psalm, the Miserere Psalm, the Psalm 51. I feel like I know where this is going. No, no, no it's not going that way. Okay. They are, they are just fast friends. And he learns all about what Erlen did, and he's like, I can't believe... She confesses. Oh, yeah, this is coming up. So, because um, uh, he's a priest. Um, she is... While she's giving birth, she sort of, like, breaks down into like hysterics, um, just from the pain and the illness and the fever. And she just spouts out the entire story of her and Erland to Gunolf, who's there helping her with the labor. And he is absolutely horrified. He's like, I cannot believe my brother is so callous and so cold. He's taken this noble, beautiful girl from a very reputable family, not a rich family, but like a family known for being pious and good. And he's just like, run her around and done this terrible thing. Gunolf is ticked and she is racked with guilt and she is convinced that she's giving birth to this like demon or a stillborn child. Um, after this very dangerous, long labor, her son, um, Nicol- his name is Nikolaus, but they call him by his Norwegian name. I have no hope of pronouncing. Lucifer. Uh, <laughs> Nakve. Okay. N-A-K-K-V-E. Nakva. Nakva. Oh, cool. Okay. So they call him, we'll just call him Nakva. They call him, so he has Nakva and he's healthy. Good. And he's good. He's got a big, he's got a big red blotch on his skin. Like he's got like a birthmark and everyone's like, oh, that's probably because of the fire. Oh. Um, he saw the church on fire, but he's like healthy Makes and good. Yep. Um, he's healthy and good. And she just is in love with Nakva and watches him and is just so thankful to God that she has a healthy boy and he seems happy and good. He's not a goblin. He's not a goblin. He's not horribly deformed. Gunnulf baptizes him. Um, and uh, and this is great. Erlen decides, I need to go and get my, my step-parents. Or not my step-parents, my in-laws. He gets on his skis. He goes to the farm. He goes to Jorin's, was it Jorin's guard, the name of the farm? Jorin uh, guard, the farm. And he gets Laverns and he says, hey, listen, you have a grandbaby. His name is Nikva. Uh, and um, you got to come with me. And Laverns is like, this is amazing. Let's go. They do this like long ski adventure together to go back and they kind of become buddies. On this ski adventure, they're like hanging out in these hunting lodges and they're like eating squirrels and whatever they're doing on their way home. And um, Laverns realizes that Erland is not completely just a playboy. Like he knows how to do things. He's a big, he loves hunting. And so he realizes he's, he's skilled in the arts of hunting and war and, like, fighting. And he's like, oh, my son-in-law's kind of a cool guy. Uh, I, shouldn't, they, I shouldn't judge him so harshly. Didn't they put out a fire in the last book? They put too? out the fire together and they've sort of grown together. That's okay. right. Okay. Laverns does not know that he seduced his daughter before marriage. Yeah. But he's, he knows that they were in love. Right. And he's like, you know what? I was too overly harsh. Maybe Simon, maybe it wasn't going to work out with Simon. I'm glad that Kristen, she's definitely rich now. And... Yeah, Erlin's a bit of a rake, but he seems to be settling down, and uh, so they're happy. They're good. Um, this is great. Um, and he kind of, like, tells um, uh, uh, tells him that he should do some sort of penance. You know, they sort of make – they talk, talk a little bit about, like, the whole pre-wedding thing, and he's like, you got to do right by my daughter, and, and Erlin's like, yeah, you're totally right. Um Kristen decides that she wants to take a barefoot pilgrimage to Nidaros, the, the main sort of holy site in, um, in um, Norway, to atone for her sins, to atone for this whole thing. And she's going to take the baby with her. 
And Erlen's like, uh, you just gave birth to our son. Right. You are not going on a barefoot pilgrimage. And Kristen's like, hey, Gunnolf, help me out. And Gunnolf's like, she should probably do it. It's the right thing to do. Like, this girl is racked with guilt. And so she um, – and, and meanwhile, Laverns is there. And Laverns is like, sounds great to me. <laughs> um, and Laverns, when he um, – Laverns is amazed of how the house looks and how the servants seem to be whipped into shape. And it's all his daughter's doing. He's like, oh, man, I knew she had it in her. So dad is happy and he leaves. Erlen's now getting a reputation for having a well-governed house and having married a well, uh, a sort of a prudent girl who is whipping everything into shape. And everyone's like, that dude's super blessed, super lucky to have this amazing woman who's like, even though she's super young, is turning his life and house around. Wow, what a great how lucky and fortunate for Erlen. What a great guy. And Laverns leaves and he parts with them filled with joy and love and happiness and it's great. Does, she, does, hmm? does Erlen go on this pilgrimage too? No, Erlen's like, oh, no, no pilgrimage. Erlen's like, okay, whatever. And she doesn't really want him to and Erlen's like, what do I got to atone for? Yeah. Um, and so she dresses she dresses as a penitent, gets in her bare feet, uh, uh, straps little baby Nakva to her. Uh, it's so now springtime. Oh, so it was winter and now it's spring. Yeah. yeah. So she, they had stayed over for winter. Bare feet sounds like a bad idea yeah. in the middle of winter. No, now right. it's summertime. She's going to lose a couple toes. And she's going yeah. on, on it. And um, while she's walking off in the distance, Erlen is just sitting there on the hill watching her go. And he's like, I can't believe I'm letting her go on this dangerous thing. This is such a bad idea. And Gunnolf comes up and his brother and his, and his brother and Erlen have this big, long hash it out. And Gunnolf's like, I know exactly what you did to that girl. And she definitely needs to do this for her own sanity and her own relationship with God. And you should be, you should be beside yourself that you were married to such a good woman. And Erlen's like, she should just be here with me. She shouldn't go do the stupid like penance thing. It's dangerous. I want her here. I don't like having her not around. And, and Gunnolf's like, you're an idiot. Um, let's see if I can find some a passage from this because it's such a great conversation. Let's see, 358, page 358. And this is going to be the basis of my question. Uh, maybe I'll pose it. We can talk about it later. So um, he's watching Kristen go. Erlen thinks she's, he's like worried she's going to die, worried the kid's going to get sick. Like this is a bad idea uh, in his mind. Um, and um, uh, they're sort of talking um, and, he, and Erlen says, Gunnolf, was it needful that you should lay this upon her? Was it needful, he asked again? Could not you have absolved her? He's like, why can't she just like confess her sins to you? Why does she have to go to this like fancy church to do it? The other made no answer and, and went, and he went on again. Erlen says, had I not confessed and done penance? He sat up. I bought her, he's referring to his dead girl, the, the woman who loved him and killed and slew herself. Mm-hmm. I bought her 30 days masses and vigils and a yearly mass on her death day forever and a grave and hallowed ground. I confessed the sin to Bishop Helga and made pilgrimage to the Holy Blood at Sherwin. Could not all of this uh, help a little for Christian? For Kristen? So Erlen's like, listen, I've, absolved, I've done all the, pen, the necessary penance for the death of, I can't remember her name, um, the woman who killed herself f- for me. Doesn't this, why does Kristen have to go and confess this sin and do all this kind of stuff? Gunnolf says, if you have done this, said the priest quietly, laid before God a contrite heart and won his full forgiveness, you sure must know that the marks left by your sin here on earth, you must yet strive year in, year out to wipe away. What you brought on her that is now your wife when you first dragged her down into the unclean living and after into manslaughter, 
That cannot you amend for her, but only God. Pray that he may hold his hand over her on this journey, where you cannot bear her company and guard her. And forget not, brother, so long as you two live, that you saw your wife go forth from your house in this wise, by reason of your sins more than of her own. So Gunnel says, burn this memory into your mind that your wife is now doing this dangerous journey with your, your fault. with your baby boy because of your unmanly sins of like dragging her down into like – A literal brothel. Yes, a literal brothel and then manslaughter. And everyone's like – everyone's like, don't you like girls? Haven't you never like loved a woman? And Gunnel's like, this isn't – like I've never done this. Right. Um, and Erlen's like, yeah. Erlen's like, sure, I've been in love, but I'm now a priest. I've never done anything this terrible. Wait, is this, what kind of priest is he? Catholic? Yeah, yeah, they're all Catholic. This so is, no. This is, this is thir- 14th century. Ah, uh, got it. Okay, I was just wondering if it was time of church no. of and he eventually becomes a Dominican monk, and he goes, uh, Gunnolf. Okay. Um, and so, um, um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, he, he, and then he also recounts, like, I watched your wife go through the horrors and shivering with the thought of her own sin while she was giving birth to your son and all this kind of stuff. And Erlen's like, I know, I know, I know. And that question that Gunnolf said to Erland uh, is the, is the thing that I've been sort of knocking back around in my head about this whole scene. And it's, um, if you've done this laid before God, a contrite heart and won his full forgiveness, you sure must know that the marks left by your sin here on earth, you must yet strive year in, year out to wipe away what you brought on her that is now your wife when you first dragged her down to unclean living, blah, 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 blah. Um, you, you can't wipe away. Only God can pray that he protects her on this pilgrimage. Erland has this like, but I've, I've confessed. I've done all this stuff. Like, can't we just move on? And Gunnolf basically says like, you're not really going to be able to move on from this. You kind of have to like keep this in front of your mind year in, year out. And this reminds me of a pass uh, in Hamlet. Cla- I think it's Claudius the king says something along the lines of like that he cannot confess his sin and be really penitent of it when he is still enjoying the, pardon me, still enjoying the fruits he got from that sin. And this is sort of the question that I have for you guys. Maybe we can talk about it now, and then we can we can talk more, and then we can move on to the rest of the story. Is, um. Can you really be – can you really have peni- a penitent heart if you are still enjoying the fruit of what you gained from the sinful act? Like can you do a sinful act, get something from it, continue to enjoy that thing in your life and then be penitent for it and have that penitence like wipe away the sin, you get to keep the thing and you kind of get to like guilt-free move on? That, that doesn't seem like that's fair. But on the other hand, that doesn't also seem like, I don't know, thoughts. What do you think? Can, do you have to give up no. the gains? So the example here is Erlen, through his sinful acts, got Kristen, right? Yeah. So like he can't – you are at, you are compounding the immoral act to like separate from her or like abandon his wife and new child, right? Yes. Like when you say – Not I'm, give I'm, up. So then Gunnolf says instead of – yeah, obviously you shouldn't just abandon Kristen right. if you really want to be penitent. But what he does say is you kind of need to let it eat you up for the rest of your life. You need to strive year in, year out is what he says to wipe it away, the murder and, and, the, and the getting of Kristen through your, your sinful life. In yeah. other words, like the, the rest of your virtuous life is the penitence. 
Yeah, I just don't know. I just think that's different from the first. Like, yeah, there there are totally life altering things that happen as a result of sin, and like your life just is different. Again, I the first question was, do you have to give everything up? I think the answer is no. Does he need to be penitent forever? Maybe. Like he needs to. The problem is that he doesn't think he did a bad thing, so he didn't really repent. No, he does. Or maybe he's like, but he, he, he doesn't. Yes. Like, yeah. If he's like, my ex lover killed herself, and I've made up for it by paying for things. Yeah. Like he doesn't. He feels no remorse and has not turned from it. Like there is repentance has not happened, mm-hmm. even though he's paid lots of money. Mm-hmm. And so the problem, like, it's not he needs to feel bad for the rest of his life. It's he needs to actually turn from what he did and regret it. So you don't see. You don't even see. Erland having be, being repentant. I don't think. I he, think that's. Fair. I, I, I'm only, I'm hearing the second yeah, hand, yeah. and it's how it's presented. But I don't think he's repented at this point. Yeah. No. I think you're right on that. Edge, are you zoning out or deep in thought? Deep in thought. Little column A, little column B. <laughs> um, I. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah. I think there are cases where you do, absolutely don't have to give it up. Like, if I live in sin and find a wife and have a kid. I don't know that I have to give up those things that I enjoy, my wife and my child, in order to to outdo the sin. Yep. I think that there's a difference between, like, I. it seems like the you must keep this at the forefront of your head all the time or you must give up all of these things that have come from It's just you choices. must strive to wipe it away is what he says. Like, um, But doesn't that undo the grace of the cross? Like, at that point, aren't you taking it upon yourself to do the work that Jesus did? Um, well, the work is, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the question that is, that is essentially the question is like, do we get Erland, Erland in my mind would probably really be cool with the, like the, the, the Christian message that's presented of like, God doesn't care about your past. God just cares about your future in your as long as you are like faithful to him. And everyone's going to be like, "Yeah, cool, awesome." So I'm not going He so wipes far. away my sin and I get to start I get to start over fresh slate. But I'm with Thomas in that I don't think there was any repentance in Erland. Like yeah. I he Erland has shown no remorse. He has made no effort. He doesn't even understand why his wife is doing this thing, which is even more shocking. Well, he's saying like, "Why can't you just why couldn't she just why like, can't I have just a, repented to you? Why does she have to go and do this? Why does she have to like suffer is what he's worried. Why does she have to go on this journey where she could have suffering and danger to do this? Why can't she just like go to church? So in my opinion, and you know, this is obviously a very developed opinion that I came up with just now. And I'm, it's, I, I think the repentance is the thing. And then there's the grace of the cross mm-hmm. and then striving to undo the bad effects of your sin is, is what we call living in great, like living in the church, which is we do everything out of gratitude for what Christ has done with us. Like I'm not, I don't have to earn that. Jesus Christ has forgiven me. Yes. Right. I do have, I have repented from my sin. And as far as the East is from the West, he is, you know, I've confessed, he removes our transgression from us. And so that is done. The effects of the sin may yet linger in the world. And it is my, I feel like it's my duty as a Christian to try to help that if I can, but I, I don't know that it is part and parcel of the repentance. Or a requirement for grace. I guess I'm thinking about it more in line of Kristen feels like it is appropriate for her to bodily suffer by going on this. Because she's going barefoot. She's right. bodily suffer going barefoot to this faraway town. And let's so the book one ends with her in this town. So on the, let me just tell you the her yeah. journey and then we can go back to this question. So she's going. She's walking there. 
Um, she bumps in. Oh, she imagines that her favorite monk who has now died, his name is Brother Edvin, is walking with her, encouraging her on. The baby is happy. She is going and she's contemplating her life and, and all this kind of stuff. On the way, she bumps into Simon. Mm-hmm. Uh, awkward. Yep. And Simon is now married to this older woman who had lost her husband. And so Simon's like married to this old lady. And Simon's like, hey, Christian, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm going on pilgrimage to atone for my sins that you know all about. Right. And he's like, oh, cool. I mean, they don't say this. He knows what's going on. Simon authentically wishes Christian well. She gets there. She's impressed by the sheer scale and beauty of the of the cathedral. She goes in the cathedral. Um, it is cold. She weeps for a long time in front of the cathedral. She has brought with her her crown, her virginal crown that she wore at her wedding that she is so ashamed of because she wasn't a virgin, and she donates it and places it on the altar uh, and gives it over to, basically gives it to the, um, uh, um, her maiden's wreath, gives it to St. Olaf or whatever the, the, the saint of the church is. And then she goes and she sleeps in essentially like a pilgrim's bunkhouse, like kind of this nasty little house. And she's sleeping there, and then she has a vision that Brother Edwin is basically giving her a, like, thumbs up. Like, right. great job, Kristen. Like, this is good. And so she has this sort of moment, this whole thing and it has, and it settles, you know, and she feels like she has done this sort of penance. Um, and then that's sort of how part one of book two ends. And so just contrasting these two things where it's like, I guess if Kristen had had the intensity and the conviction and the authenticity, maybe it's the authenticity. If Kristen had the auth- authenticity of, of repentance, but just like went downstairs and talked to Gunnolf about it versus doing this whole trip, like, that does feel like a difference. And it feels like there is something more appropriate for the pilgrimage than just having the authentic heart and doing the, like, it seems cheap just to go and, like, talk to Gunnolf downstairs. Uh, okay. But it, it does seem cheap. And I think that that's our, our feeling of justice coming in here. But once done, the glory of the work the glory is the work and hers, not Christ's. What? How so? The glory is she. She, she feels better because she did a thing, I, not that, because Christ did a thing. I don't think that's fair. How is that not fair? She goes and she sacrifices this thing. She takes this suffering, penitent journey. She has taken the job of atoning for the sin upon herself, rather than letting that job be Christ's. I think that's. A, so, I think that's a cruel reading. Yeah, I don't. I, I may be cruel, but if it's just like if it's if it's true. I think that that she is trying to suffer to make up for something that is already done, and there is someone who has already suffered for it, and that job is Christ. I would much rather, instead of her take her baby and risk her toes on this long journey to atone for her sin, like recognize that the job was Christ's, and then turn her turn her mind toward cultivating her land, her house, her husband, and her son. Well, she is going to. I know she's going to, but I, I Can don't... Can I a different interpretation? Sure. Of like... Yeah. So all through... So book one, we had a reader email us, or a listener email us about like, they read the description of book one, and mm. they were like, this sounds like a... It's the story of someone going after their passion. Female empowerment. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. and like, why would I want to read this? And it's actually... You could misread maybe the first book, but not the second book, right? And definitely not the third book. Yeah, which again, I know nothing about. But in the first book, she gets the benefit of this thing that she'll regret later. So she gets the man, she gets the marriage, she gets to leave behind Simon, she gets all this stuff. 
and then she feels a little bad. And th- what if this, um, what she's doing is essentially feeling the suffering she's been experiencing for the last book, right? Like there is actual cost and consequence in, in this like grand cosmic, like there is sin that she has done that has harmed her soul, that has harmed her, that she has not felt the effect of, and that she, so such that she doesn't fully appreciate the gravity of what she's done. And that by taking this barefoot journey, it's like, it is putting into physicality. What I have done is harmed myself, harmed my child, put my child at risk um, because I wanted something before. Like it's not, I'm doing a good thing. Therefore I feel better. It's, this is what I actually did for the last year, two years. I don't know how long they were together. Like the, ba- the, the evil thing I've done is actually, harmed me to the same way that this pilgrimage is harming me or putting me at risk. And just in the same way that God is going to keep me safe on the pilgrimage yeah. and allow me to repent at the church, yeah. so He's his grace has kept me safe even in the midst of my the, my sin where I was doing, where I was pouring suffering on yeah. myself when I didn't realize it. Such there's that, a, there's a, yeah, there's that sort of poetry to it. Such I'm, that when I then get to the, uh, when I then hand over my crown, when I then hand over this thing that should have been my prize, mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel the weight of that and then can appreciate the gospel that is that says I'm free from the sin. Like I, I understand the gravity of what I've done and therefore can accept that grace. Now, I, I haven't I, read the book, so I don't know if that's what's I happening. Th- that, that is, I think, Thomas, you've done that. You've, you've um, vocalized yeah. my thoughts on it for okay. sure. I am... I'm okay with it as long as the work of grace and forgiveness is God's and not hers. I'm I'm all for a journey of self-discovery. I can see how a harrowing experience, like the harrowing experiences she's had, requires some sort of transformative or palliative journey. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. My issue is if she she requires her own suffering or sin, or is her her own suffering for the sin to be effective for grace. And like, that's my problem because I think there's a, there's a theological misstep. If she's like, I have to do this so that the sin goes away. I think that's wrong. I have to do this to fully feel the effects of what's happened and to come to myself again. That is fine. And it's a really fine line and it's a line of attitude, but it's important. Right. And I think if we take the job of undoing our own sin upon ourselves, it is not fully recognizing the suffering on the cross, right? He suffered so we don't have to. And that doesn't mean I don't that we, think that's true. I don't think he suffered so we don't have to. We, we suffer. We still experience we suffering. Still experience suffering. Well, I mean, like, for for the undoing of, of our sin, like, specifically that transaction, the sin transaction. And yes, there's still sin in the world. Yes, I still think you will probably have to, suffer, like, reap the effects of the sin that have happened. But the job of grace is done by Jesus and nobody else. And to take it back upon ourselves, I think, is a grave disservice to the cross. Does Kristen say what she like, – does Kristen address this part of it, of like what is happening once she's actually it's, at the and altar? It's just so – I mean, that's that's more the like – AJ's anti-liturgical stance is sort of just outside the realm of how Christianity is understood to the medieval Catholic mind that – that's like that's the Luther position, right? Is you don't need to do all this stuff because it was done once and for all, and just like so. There, there are liturgies that I'm, I'm all for, and even even in the but pilgrimage is not one of them. No, I, I I'm fine with pilgrimage. Uh, just like if, but if you think it is effective for grace, I think that's where the issue stands. And even now, my understanding of the Catholic practice of confession is that when the priest tells you that your sins are absolved, he's not doing it. 
right? You have prayed. The scripture says, if you confess, God is faithful to forgive. So all the priest is doing is confirming that you've, you are forgiven, something that is already true because you confessed. So bringing you back into relationship with the church. And then when they give you penance to do, the penance is to make you feel better about things. And that's, it's not required to be forgiven of your sin. It's not required to achieve grace. It is simply, maybe you feel bad, this might make you feel better. And that's a very fine distinction. And I don't think all laymen understand that fine distinction when they go to do their penance, right? But it's important to know that your penance is not the thing that gets you forgiveness. It is the thing that maybe makes you feel better about it. No. But let's but, say that she was convicted of like, um, I think I did a bad thing, but I don't realize how bad it was. And then she chooses not to take the pilgrimage. You don't think that she's done anything wrong in that moment of, or like if she's like, I'm being flippant in my attitude toward what I've done. I just want to move past this. Like you don't think th that person needs to do it. Like Erland, Erland is okay. I'm not saying Erland is okay by any means. Yeah. Erland needed to spend some serious time in prayer and actually repent, right? So repent is a, ch a full change you're of, saying of that orientation you, and, or, and Erland hasn't done it. You, yeah. want, auth you want the authenticity of, of, the, of the heart. Yeah. Yes. And... Thomas's, and I think my, maybe, maybe I won't put words in Thomas's mouth. I think my position is that the pilgrimage, and in Christian's in Christian's case, is also it's not proving to God, but it is like playing out and proving to herself the authenticity of her own okay, heart. Right. Not because she's trying to affect or like twist God's arm into forgiving her, but she is at the same time realizes the depth of her sin, but also doesn't realize the depth of her sin and has, and, and, um, by going on the dangerous pilgrimage in, and like having the vision of getting to the church and praying there and having it be a hard thing is a reinforcing on her own self of the authenticity of what she's doing. Cause there's going to be like, it's going to take a couple of days or it's going to be a cold night. And she's going to be like, what am I doing? Maybe I should just go home. Right. And the, the going through the suffering is the reinforcing of the fact that like you need to be authentic for true repentance that Erland isn't doing. And I'm also, I also worry like that she probably also wouldn't have been doing if she said, I feel really bad. I should go talk to the priest downstairs and paddles downstairs and sits there and is like, and he's like, you got to confess your sins and repent. And she's like, I did it. Um, there's, there's something about the playing it out that is the, the um, it, confirming to herself the, the, the authenticity of her, of her own feeling. And when she, my worry is that when she looks back. Well, you don't need to worry think, about it. It's not your concern. You asked him to be my concern. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that it's well, just like, what we're talking about. No, Why it, am I even doing this podcast if it's not my concern? No, AJ, That's you would not, would you go into a pilgrimage and you would see people there clutching their hands and praying at the altar and you look them in the eye and be like, listen, 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 like you better be doing this for the right reasons. Cause if you're not, you're stupid. Like that's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to walk into someone's pilgrimage and tell them those things. But I, but when she is done and she looks back on her pilgrimage, she will think I did it. Not Christ did it. I, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, and yeah. that's my problem. Like if, if it is, I, I have repented, God has forgiven me, but I need, I need to know for myself that my own repentance is legitimate, but the grace is already there. I understand the pilgrimage. If it is, I must do this pilgrimage in order to achieve grace. I think it is a grave misunderstanding of grace. I think we live more in a world of cheap grace than we do of like, um, uh, authentic, the, like authentically 
going after, like desiring it. And this is, and this is the problem. The grace wasn't cheap. It wasn't cheap for Christ. Yeah, yeah, but it is cheap for you. No, it's not cheap for us. It's not cheap for us. We have to die to ourselves. Yes, yeah, sure. And but that's what I want her to do. I don't. Well, and but this the pilgrimage, this pilgrimage is a, is an act of the pilgrimage is playing that out. The pilgrimage is reinforcing that to herself. Oh, if and again, yeah, if that is her attitude, right. if she is like, I need to know that that I like, I have repented, but I need to know that that's for real. I'm all about it. Go on the pilgrimage. But if she must do the pilgrimage and she says, this is how I achieve grace, I think that's wrong. I think that looks at, at the cross and snubs your nose at it. Do you think Erlen should take a pilgrimage, AJ? I think Erlen should actually repent. But what I think Erlen should do is apologize to his wife, uh-huh. ask her forgiveness, talk to his brother, the priest, and recognize that a few shillings out of his pocketbook aren't going to do the job, and then actually serve her and serve his house. Yeah. I think a pilgrimage doesn't help. I think he's neglecting his home and his wife. What if the pilgrimage Helps was also the effect of the change in his heart? Yeah. That, and, uh, that partway through it, it's it really like, he's going, what if what if he is first doing it out of obedience, Gunnel says, go do it, and Erlen's like, fine, whatever, just get off my back. And he does it, and then partway through it, the difficulty and the pain of it, and he's saying to himself, why am I doing this thing? Focuses himself to realize, like, the pain of this is the pain of my sin, and the only... You know, it, it ends up being the means of his authentic, authentic confession. Awesome. Fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. My problem is still only if you then think— Then everybody should go on pilgrimages all the time because the, the chance of it is that you're going you're gonna to be unlocking this, this no, I mean, potential. If, if I'm, I'm all for personal journey, right? And I I'm, hope everybody goes on one and finds what's wrong in their heart and sincerely repents. But— but looking at the journey as the way to achieve grace, I think that's the problem. I, I think there's all kinds of reasons for pilgrimages. I think pilgrimages are probably fantastic. I think they would be probably really good for Erland to go and, and actually feel the suffering. But once he has repented, God has already done the work. I don't even know if there's repentance without suffering. First. Like to feel the weight of yeah. the thing you're repenting for. Yeah. That's what guilt is. Guilt is that suffering, and you repent. Which he doesn't feel, in which she does. And that's the problem. And that's why Erland is never going to repent as he should, is because he doesn't feel the, the actual weight of the thing. So you think, I would argue that she feels it a lot. So you think she's silly? Or she didn't need to go, is what... If she, she obviously had an authentic penitence before she went on this thing, or she wouldn't be doing it. And so this is just like... I think she very much a, did. A and silly I think, thing. I think what should happen is that she should repent and then thank her lucky stars for Jesus. Like, what, what's going to happen at the end of this pilgrimage is she'll think, I'm glad I did this. No. If she were to stay home and repent and think and, and gaze only at the cross, it would, it would totally orient her heart to the cross, always. And right now, she is oriented to self. I need to suffer in order to undo this thing. And I don't know if the suffering undoes it, as opposed to prepares her to fully repent. And I guess that's, the, that's your question, too, of like, if it's, yeah. if it's a means to prepare her heart to repent. Great. You're fine with it, yep. right? And I think I would even agree she doesn't have to go on the pilgrimage. Knowing her heart as yeah. it is, I think she's probably like good to go already. But that doesn't mean just because you don't have to do it doesn't mean it's not good for you, right? Yeah. Like clearly it's a good like sure. she gets something out of going on this pilgrimage. Yeah, I'm I'm super glad she did it. She probably feels great about it. My yep. my only worry is that when we take the work of grace upon ourselves that the cross is a little less glorious. But uh, you make it but my worry is that you're turning it into just sort of like a transactional math equation. Like, oh, she was good to go. She didn't have to do this thing. She was good to go. Like, that's not how, like, 
relationships. Like the, the, the mystery of the repentance is more than just a, that one-time feeling in the heart of penitence. Presumably, Erlen at some point felt bad, and he did confess about this. But he is now speaking about it cheaply, whereas and is like, well, why does she have to go and do this big thing? Um, uh, her, her going, her going through this, you know, the, doing the hard thing, is a reinforcing to her of the gravity of the need of the grace that she needs to have from God. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to conflate confession and repentance. Those are two different things. I think. Maybe Erlen has confessed and said, yeah, I screwed up. But repentance is a change of behavior and a leaving of old habits. Erland ha- does not seem to have left them. She has. She's in a different place. She is caring for her household. She, yeah. has, she has left her, her ill habits and realizes the gravity of those. That's repentance. She has repented. I just don't, know how, you can, I just don't know how you can separate her penitent heart and the pilgrimage. It's like... It's, it's the same argument where you say, like, well, we love each other, so we don't need to be married. Like, we're already married in our hearts. Why go through the ceremony of it? Um, we already dedicated ourselves to each other. Why, why get everybody and do the day and, and stand up there and stand before God and do this thing? Like, you don't need to do it. In our hearts, we've, we've vowed each other. So we've made the commitment internally. Why do we need to do an external um, uh, representation of it. That's also, I guess you can say the same thing about baptism. Why do we even need to do like the external baptism? Why don't we just do, that's also, why don't we do it in our hearts? Penance is also a This is also not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm not saying that there needs to be no physical representation of her penitence. Okay. I'm saying that the physical manifestation of penitence and repentance is returning to the narrow road. No, but how do you, how do you disentangle the two? Like, I'm um, not disentangling them. I'm saying she needs to physically follow God every day. That's what repentance is, is returning to the narrow road. I don't need a pilgrimage to do it. I just need to be faithful. Because you would agree with Erland that. is not being faithful. She sure, sure. Yeah, she, she is. She didn't have to go on a pilgrimage to receive forgiveness. Like she you, did not. But she may but have she needed something. to do it in order to understand the depth of the forgiveness she's received. Right. I think she went on the pilgrimage because she already understood it. But but at that point, we're, but we're you, parsing. But, sure. but the thing is, if, if right before she left, if Gunnel sat her down and was like, listen, Kristen, like... You don't need to do this because your heart's already in the right place. Just like don't do it. And she was like, okay, that feels like not a that 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 is a letdown. That is a that doesn't seem like a good pastoral moment. No, but I mean you're you're mispainting the scene, I think. But it also feels like suffering for your sin feels noble to us, I think. But again, that steals the nobility for ourselves rather than leaving it at the foot of the cross. Now, but I think the scene would have mm-hmm. played out. He says, Look, you don't need to go. And she says, You're right. I've been given full grace, and I'm going to live every day trying to serve the God that I know. And you, husband, you have not repented. Like, that is how that conversation should have gone. If that adds a little bit of nobility as she tries to help her husband towards the same penitence, then uh, go for it. I like that scene. But I don't think she needs to do the pilgrimage in order to, to receive grace. I think that, that right there is the really important point. But I think the, the fact that she has a son who is healthy, that she is, she really, like, realizes that this in her mind is this like is, is a great mercy uh, that it would have been just you know in her heart it would have been just if the child had died like going back to like the um the david story with bathsheba and the, you know like all of this this kind of stuff she is if she didn't do the pilgrimage and just sort of like 
Um, so there, I guess there's also the Thanksgiving aspect of the pilgrimage as well. If it was a Thanksgiving pilgrimage, awesome. But the, the things you can't you can't just like categorize them. It's all of those things wrapped up together. It's suffering. It's Thanksgiving. It's repentance. It's uh, you know uh, the, the, all of it is wrapped up together into having being this external display of what God has done, how He has been. It's also the like. Not even realizing that God is with you when you were sinning, but in the in the background, He's always been there to support you. Like the pilgrimage is both the um, the thanksgiving and the confession and the uh, the solidifying of the authenticity and the realizing of this thing all together that you don't have if you just have the like. In my brain, I realize that the cross has saved me, and I'm I'm internally in my bedroom assent to it. And that's that's just as good as doing anything else. No, I'm not. Okay, so a couple of things. First, all those things that you mentioned about the pilgrimage, awesome. If it is of thanksgiving, if it's I have received grace and I want to show God that I'm happy that I received grace, you said it was the manifestation of 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 forgiveness that I'm was already all there. All of those things together. If it, all, if it was thanks, you can't separate. No, no. The, if the it is manifestation of for, forgiveness already received, awesome. If it is the means of achieving grace, that's not okay. And if it's, and I'm not saying that mm. ascent in your bedroom is the equivalent. I'm saying that actually turning from your sin and living a life of faithfulness is the equivalent. It's not glorious. It doesn't seem cool, and it's not noble. But turning from my sin. Wait, and then so being you're saying that every day you don't have. We can't know if someone's repentant until they've de- they've died because they have to have, they have to have been, no f- that f- f- long, that lifelong fidelity. The easy measure is. Did they turn from a sinful behavior? That's repentance. Did she leave that behavior? Yeah, she did. Erland hasn't really. But she hasn't left. But no, she hasn't because she still loves and desires her husband. She's still... Which isn't She is happy that she has... She's happy with the life that she's received. With it's also not a With the fruit that she's gotten. But the fruit that she's gotten has been from disobedience to father, has been through her, her child that she is loves is... The, like, literally the fruit of sin. And those things are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Um, you, can, you can say as much as you want that I have to go on a pilgrimage to earn all these things, and I will, I will battle you tooth and nail to say that it is Christ who does the work and not me. And I feel like that's a hill I'm going to die on. <laughs> that's fine. I just, I, I don't think you're, um, I think you open yourself up to a cheapening of the gospel, by, by by discrediting the need for any kind of human act. I'm, and again, I'm not discrediting the need for human act, right? If I ask someone to repent of their ways, I'm asking them to leave a sinful life and leave a holy one. That is a huge sacrifice, right? We're, Kristen was kind of already there. She saw the sin. She had felt the remorse. She already felt awful about it. She felt like she needed to do this thing to sort of get the guilt off her shoulders. So she wasn't looking at the cross, is my point. And it feels noble and it feels like this grand gesture, and I'm sure it is. But when I ask someone to repent of their sins, I'm asking them to leave a sinful life and lead a holy one. And that leading of the holy one is the physical act. It's a continuous thing. It's not a one-time, I did a thing, I got grace. It's God has given the grace to me, and I will live faithfully and thankfully afterwards. Now, this isn't going to be the first pilgrimage that Kristen takes in her life. And the uh, there is going to be sort of like this flow of pilgrimages that people that she does and that the and, and that 
people earnestly seeking after God do. Um, I don't know. There's just something doesn't sit well with the you don't like basically you it seems like you're advocating like a low effort faith which is the um and you're saying yes you have to live sort of this lifetime of 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 of, of turning away from sin yeah um, low effort. but that doesn't just but for christian and for lots of, like the pilgrimage is affecting that is it is aiding in that you don't just do that by like mentally as- ascribing to it and then you, you don't just not sin by like not doing bad things. Like is, the li- no, the life you need. You're also going to be no. You're going to be. You need to be. Um, there's something to pay. There's there's there's, there's like is that what the discrediting of the Thanksgiving. Like all of it is wrapped together. The giving of thanks for life and for the child right. and for God's protection through all this kind of thing, and this going through the path of suffering and being penitent. And, like, she bumps into Simon on the way, and Simon's like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm going out pilgrimage. Christian could rightly see that as, like, God is bringing those pieces together so that Simon sees that Christian's doing this thing. Uh, and, and um, like, by putting yourself, by, by taking on that hard act of the liturgy, yes, it is not... Um, Save, you're not saving yourself, uh, but you are. F- but it is forming her, and it would be forming. And it is. It is formative in its action. And um, I. I don't. I can't conceive of how somebody would grow into thanksgiving and piety and virtue if they don't fill their lives with doing those sorts of hard things, of consistent prayer, fasting pilgrimages, going to church every Sunday, uh, following calendars, like like filling one's life with these practices to form you into this. Um, I don't think that willpower is, is, is going to... I, I feel like on this we agree. I'm, I'm I don't not, think we do. No, no, no. I'm not advocating for... It seems like you think I'm anti-liturgical. I'm absolutely not. I, I think that what you have described is the life of faith, daily prayer, or like, and the calendars help to form yeah, one yeah. into a Christian. All of these things are fantastic. I'm even a fan of pilgrimages if they are done for Thanksgiving. If you're like, I know I think I would love to feel like what suffering is like. The one sticking point I have is when you- Is think, if you, if they're somehow like feeling like they're affecting what they're yes. doing. Because, because, because the suffering was done- I think anybody done, who's doing that long pilgrimage, like that is more the attitude that you were going to find in the Erlins than you're going to find in the Christians. And Erlins are the, like- Erland is the kind of person that's going to love hearing the cheap gospel of God loves you, for, God takes you for you are, and like just, you know, give your life over to him at Bible camp and you've got a ticket to heaven. Erland's going to love that and Again, eat that you up. Are not, you are not, I think, being, uh, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying he gets to do the Bible camp thing and be done. Repentance is a continuous reorienting of one's life to faithfulness. And so it includes all of those liturgies you've just described. Okay. But but this is not how grace is achieved. I do not get grace because I do a thing. I get grace because Jesus did a thing. Would it be, and then I reorient my life and continue to pursue him from thankfulness for that thing that's already done. So you're done. saying if Christian, did the, if, if Christian did the pilgrimage for the wrong reason, that would be a bad thing. We would agree with this. Yeah. 
Um, Would you still, would you only counsel her to take the pilgrimage only if her mind and heart was in the right place? Or would you say, do it anyway? Or if you were her, if you were Gunolf and you thought that Christian was doing this because she was trying to affect or like force God's hand or she, or you you had some sort of inclining in your heart that she was in the she had the wrong theological headspace about this would you counsel her not to do the pilgrimage no what i would probably say is look thee to the cross first cuz god has done the work like you are penitent and you have confessed and god has forgiven you right the blood of the lamb has washed you and as you walk in your bare feet know that you are clean yeah. Okay. And, okay. That's fair. Then what if she said like, pray thankfulness at the church. And then what, what if she say. said, oh, then what am I doing this thing for? And then you were like, would you not then question the authenticity of her heart? I would, I would counsel her to do exactly what repentance is, which is okay. Then stay here, serve your husband, serve your house and serve the Lord. Pray every day. And she observe, said, observe the church calendar. Awesome. And not go on pilgrimages? Yeah, sure. If, if, if her whole goal was, I need to do this so that I am forgiven, it's, she's already forgiven. But it's... And, and she would look back and think, I did a thing, not Jesus But it's Jesus not just the one thing. It's all of those things. It's, it's, it is the asking for forgiveness and being thankful for how you've been brought through the suffering and being thankful for the child and still feeling guilty that you are living with this, the fruits of the past sin, and it's all of those things wrapped up together in this journey, culminating that when she gets to the altar, and actually she literally gets to the cross and puts her childhood on the altar, she puts the, the crown, the thing that was supposed to be her glory of over. being the virgin uh, bride, she, she puts it on the altar and gives it away. Like, that seems to be more powerful and impactful than if she just had like an internal version of that upstairs in her bedroom. Again, it's not just internal. It's not. You, she is, it's, it's a behavior change. And I, I would say that she already has the right attitude, but I, I, she can go on the pilgrimage. And I, I, if you can't separate all those things, fine. But I would say to her as she leaves. I just don't think humans, I just don't think any of us can separate those things. I don't think you can separate like your actions from your belief. And if you do, not if you I, do, I, I question the belief. It's incredible. The actions are part and parcel of repentance. I, right. I need to get, it's not just a feeling that you have once. That's guilt. Okay. Then there's confessing, which is the act of confessing your sin. And then repentance is a continuous reorientation of your life away from sin. And the, the pilgrimage is not in any way affecting repentance. It is maybe an, like, if you have repented and done it already, but it's not a way of, so... So it's got up in heaven being we, like, look at this loser going on. Like she's already, she's already got it. She doesn't even realize it. No, no, I don't think so. And you know, I'm not saying yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to point out that like, how, why are you, why do you feel the need to take her from her pilgrimage and sit her down and be like, you know what you're doing is unnecessary. Like that no, seems I would cruel. Want her, I would want her to do it for the right reasons. And why would that be? I think, I think. It sounds like this wonderful, noble thing that she's doing, and it's so romantic that she does it, and that's mm-hmm. awesome. But if every time I sinned, Graham, yeah. and I felt like I had to repent of it, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I felt like maybe I had to punch myself in the thigh or flat, no, no. self-flagellate or no, wear a bad shirt this isn't a, a self-flagellation. While. This is... Yes, it is. She's walking is, in bare feet. But she's also going to a place where she is going to be surrounded by supreme beauty of the cathedral. She is going to so would you a advocate- holy site where she is going to where she is going to spend time in prayer. She is 
um, you know, going to maybe this also just play. We don't as Protestants, we just don't have a strong sense of place and shrines and holy places. We don't have holy places. I don't know. Isn't this what? Yeah, you all are just so. There's grace that God gives, and there are humans who need it. And you're disagreeing on the. I think all the recommendations, all the practical recommendations you agree on, you just said that she should pray every day and she should act differently. I could call that workspace righteousness, couldn't I? You're saying that her no, behavior. I would say you I, do I it, you'd, but do it from out of thankfulness, right? But wouldn't you, you both say grace. you'd both say your life should look different as a result of this? And, yeah, because faith without works is dead, right? And you say that going to the pilgrimage under the right circumstances could be correct, mm-hmm. right? So there's yeah, God has grace. We need it. It's the what is the connection between those two? And Graham is saying that there are these intermediaries, these sacraments that exist between the great that provide that grace to humans, right? That there's this this path of repentance that you have to do something to get. I'm, I'm overstating it by saying that, but that there are things. You're Catholic. I was going to say, say holy yeah. crap, I'm a Catholic. Um, yeah, um, and you're saying. AJ, there's no in between that we can get that grace immediately, and there's no like, and that baptism is a or um, uh, communion. I was I almost called it Eucharist, but uh, c- communion is a good thing to do. But you, there's nothing special about. No, no, no. It. I, I would say intermediary is probably the wrong the wrong word. I don't think there is necessary self effort for the achievement of grace beyond repentance. So reorienting your life and confession. What about baptism? Yeah, absolutely. Baptism is commanded. Absolutely great. Yes. Do you receive something in baptism? Or is it just, we are commanded to do it, therefore we should do it? I, I am still unclear. I need probably need to study a little bit more. I can't make any claim either way. I think that's but it what, is commanded. This whole thing is dancing around. I, I, I see this as dancing around that. Well, I'm like, wondering if Graham would want me to walk barefoot to the cathedral downtown every time I go through Spasin. Not every time. I think it'd be good for you. Yeah. Or well, for, but should I do it in order to be forgiven? To realize um, the weight of sin. Um... I think it would end up being a like a like if it was a a beginning or an ending of a chapter of your life that ended up be, like um, being an anchor point for your soul. Then looking back, would I would I say like that thing? Obviously, the pilgrimage doesn't save you. The blood of Christ saves you. Right. But there could be. I feel like a, I just won. No, no. <laughs> But You're, there could be a uh, um, the 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 pilgrimage can do m- much more sanctifying work in making you more like Christ now than than not doing it. I, I again, I think on that we totally agree. Pilgrimages are great. But I just even think if, as a means of grace, it is not. But even if Christian was going on that pilgrimage in the wrong mindset, saying like, "I need to do this to earn the forgiveness from a wrathful God." Um, and did it and did the pilgrimage and got to the shrine and got there and put her prize on the altar and in her heart um, said, I, God has forgiven me for my sin and I have done this thing. Like I can't, I don't look at that and say like, Ooh, her soul's in a bad spot. I do. You said he's a. She is going to earn the grace of a wrathful God. Yeah, yeah. You that th- doesn't sound like Christianity to me. Yes, it does. You don't think God's wrathful? You don't think God's no, mad? No, I think at, he's you don't wrathful. Think mad, God's mad at sin. I think he's plenty mad at sin. I don't think you are the one to undo it. I oh, think no, Christ I, is the one to undo it. And when you look under the hood, he is. Right. And so, but, but that doesn't but mean that we don't hood. do anything. 
I'm not saying we don't do anything. We're, we're coming back again to the same thing. Uh, yeah, and this is what Maybe was saying, is that... Is this, you agree on is, the what, the source of the grace is the God. We agree for the source of the, the grace. is human, so we have to do something different. It's the middle part. Mm-hmm. And I we're have just no re- problem with pilgrimages. Re- yeah, yeah that, I'm agreeing with that. On the practical of what people should do, you agree. It's the, like, the mechanics in the middle that you're disagreeing about. And, like, so do Catholics and Protestants. Like, that's that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. I don't know. I don't um, think I have to self-flagellate to earn the grace of God. You don't have to, uh, nor should you self-flagellate, to be clear. But, um, yeah, like, it's the question of, like, what is happening in in the sacrament? What is happening in that um, pilgrimage that she's doing? And um, is she receiving, yeah, is her repentant, what is happening in that moment? Is it nothing or is it um, she's receiving some forgiveness? And among that, is it some assurance she receives? Because when she looks back, so... When she looks back at this moment and says, did I really repent of what I did? She can say, yes, because I took it so seriously, I made this pilgrimage. It's an assurance for her. And in those moments of doubt, you yeah. have a thing that you hold on to. Yeah. If it's just an assurance that I need to know I took it seriously and it's like, okay, I took it seriously. Yeah. I'm totally fine with that. If she looks back and says, I did the thing that earn the forgiveness. I think that's not okay. And I think you all agree on that. that. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot we actually agree on. Yeah, I agree. And just for our audience's sake, Graham and I will still be friends after this. Of course. And we, we come in hot and I even said, I'll die on this. I don't think I've ever said that before in my lifetime, but I got fired up. I'm sorry, audience. It happens. I just don't think you will die on this hill. Like I think you don't realize that you're not going to die on this hill. I I don't think that you realize that you are cheating the grace of God. And (laughs) with that, we should probably call it because we are way over time. No, we should. uh, Yeah. And I guess we'll move to in between where we do the same thing. So uh, this has been classical stuff. You should know you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash classical stuff. You can find us on Twitter or X or whatever we call it these days. We only got one out of four pages done. Uh, That's so you also typed up your notes today. What's that about? No, this isn't. This is just uh, a printout from. Yeah. Oh, no, it's a little different. Oh, okay. A little different stuff. Then uh, you can also email us, the guys at classicalstuff.net. And thank you all for listening. Yeah, our, we record in between episodes after each of our main episodes. You can find those on patreon.com slash classical stuff. Thank you all so much. And we'll see you all again soon. Bye. Bye. Ciao.